All right, here we go. My name is Todd Adams. This is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is episode number 218, sweetie. Correct. Um, Zen Parenting Radio, it's a discussion between a spiritual and emotional mom and a logical and practical dad. We have three daughters, ages 7, 10, and 11, and our goal is to give you the resources to become a better parent, but more importantly, to become a better you. You know what? How about this? What? The the goal of this show, because you and I are kind of playing with language right now, is growing in self-awareness. Is it growing in self-awareness or growing self-awareness? I say growing, we go with growing, growing self-awareness. self-awareness. Okay, I like it. That's Take our new tagline. We're playing. So, but always remember our motto, sweetie. That was our tagline. This is our motto. The best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. So Todd and I had fun talking about that last night because for those of you who listen all the time, you know that that motto comes from Dr. Daniel Siegel. He was the one who said that. We got that out of his, his book, Mindsight. Mm-hmm. But we didn't really know that, meaning that we we heard that somewhere. We we took it. We, we kind of gave him credit. And then now we're reading all of his books and finding it. Which is so cool because yeah. it's like we've made our way to that place where now back where we started back where we started just like in the Alchemist, sweetie. That's right. That's right. It's all about the alchemists. Um, so we're going to talk about a movie called Whiplash, and we are going to talk about an amazing blog that I read last week, and it's called "Why Do We Murder the What Is It Why Do We Murder Why Do We just, The Relationships of Our Boys Why Do We Murder the Beautiful Friendships of Boys Yeah, that's it, and if we get some time, we might talk about John Denver. Yay. And then maybe a little money thing, sweetie. But our first partner is uh, Dr. John Kelly. He does comprehensive dentistry for our three daughters, and he's very good at what he does. And uh, our three daughters are now in the place where they're getting orthodontics, and he has a, a very unique yet important way of going about it. So I encourage you to Cutting edge. look him up. ChicagoDentistOnline.com, 773-631-6844. Dr. Kelly will actually be there tomorrow night, which is our screening of The Mask You Live In. And we have probably over 200 people. Over 200, yeah. Um, that will show up. We're just under 200, but by, by tomorrow, I'm sure we'll be over that. And uh, we're looking forward to it. And The Mask You Live In is a documentary about um, helping our boys uh, get along in this society where we talk about manning up and the man box. Reconnecting our boys. That's right. And our and our, our men as well, mm-hmm. even as grown-up boys. Well, it starts with the men. Boys, right. Sons don't know how to connect unless they see fathers connect. So if you're interested, uh, go to kathykasaniadams.com. Or zenparentingradio.com. And click on events. Uh, but it's tomorrow night, March 11th. At 7 o'clock. You got it. So um, I, I think we should first talk about Whiplash. Yes, which it's funny because we're a little behind, meaning Whiplash has been out a long time and um, it's now on iTunes. But, you know, we waited because it's hard to get to the theater. Yes, we're always a, about six or nine months behind. We are. But so um, so I really wanted to see Whiplash because a lot of people asked me if I had seen it and wanted to know how I felt about the learning that occurred in that movie. And obviously I couldn't comment on it until I saw it, um, even though I'd seen all the clips. And obviously, you know, J.K. Simmons won the Academy Award, et cetera. But I, I really wanted to see it before I gave any commentary. And I feel ready to give some commentary. What's the movie about? So Whiplash is about a boy who's 19 years old who ends up going to a premier like academy for music learning. Okay. And he's a drummer. 
and he has a lot of dreams and um, aspirations to become the best drummer. Okay. And so he ends up being in this school program, and within this school program, there's this higher-level band that everybody wants to be in. And this higher-level band is uh, taught by a man with some unorthodox techniques. Okay. What are those techniques? Um, He's cruel, and he pushes, and he uh, demeans you, and he makes you afraid, and he uses fear to teach. Okay. Okay. So should we play his first clip? Yeah. So you want to set this clip up? So Andrew is this, – this teacher happens to hear him play and invites him into his band as kind of the second seat. And this is Andrew's first day in this, uh, in this band with this teacher. And he's playing and all of a sudden uh, the teacher, his name's uh, Fletcher, Mr. Fletcher, he throws a chair at Andrew's head. So he just threw a chair and this is the reaction. It's about 40 seconds long. Why do you suppose I just hurled a chair at your head, Neiman? I, I don't know. Sure you do. The tempo? Were you rushing or were you dragging? I, I don't know. Start counting. Five, six, seven. In four, damn it! Look at me! One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Now, was I rushing or was I dragging? I don't know. Count again. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Rushing or dragging? Rushing. So you do know the difference. So obviously those sounds that you heard were... He was getting slapped. Slapping them really hard. Really hard. I wonder how many times they did that in the making of the movie. It's interesting that you say that because I remember reading an article about it when it first won awards because it's been out for a long time. It was at the Cannes Film Festival last year and won the jury prize, which means it won the top prize. And so I've been hearing about this movie forever and they talked about that scene and how these guys did some serious true acting, meaning Mm. they, what is it? uh, they took it. Yeah, you know they didn't. They went for it. Yes. There's you can tell in the scene. There's nothing. Yeah, that's he's not slapping true. them yeah. really hard. Yeah. Um, so one, it makes me want to see this movie yeah. because it just looks very powerful. Yeah. Um, but the reason we're bringing it up is we're using this as a metaphor to parenting, not yeah. slapping our kids on the face, but just even pushing our kids and you and I kind of have a different take on that. Well, and and you know, we can obviously like Todd said it's with parenting but also just the theory of how people learn. Yeah. Because what Mr. Fletcher believes or what Fletcher believes, that's his last name or his first name, I can't remember, but regardless, what he believes is that to be great you have to be pushed, you have to be scared, you have to be afraid, you got to be pushed to the brink. Mm-hmm. And what he said, there's a quote in the movie where he says, the worst possible thing you can say to a kid is very good hmm. or good job. That's it. Not very good. Good job. Which means positive reinforcement? Yes. Okay. He thinks that once you do that, his belief system is that once you once you do that, the kid just just what's it called plateaus there yeah doesn't push themselves he's gonna get and see so i think that's why a lot of people wanted me to see it is because they were like now see because i i I don't want to ruin this movie if you don't feel like getting the movie ruined stop listening or fast forward 15 seconds but there is something to be that at the end of the movie the kid is good yeah okay yeah i don't think that's ruining anything okay turns out good he well he's good and but proficient but here's the big but it's that 
definition of success again that so many of us hold up as being a good thing when in reality it's a very – I'm going to be very blunt and say a warped sense of success because what we know about this boy is that when we're shown that he has this skill and this talent – because we knew it all along. Mm-hmm. He always had skill and talent. Right. But he takes it to this new level and we sit there and we think this only happened because of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, and, go ahead. Yeah, I want to finish this point because this is something that Todd and I talk about all the time about the metaphor about a kid on a on a diving board and them jumping off. And a parent will often push that child to jump off or literally push them right. or encourage or pressure them, them, pressure them, right. get, you know, use fear to yeah. get them off. And then when the child jumps off and has a good time, the parent takes credit mm-hmm. and says, if I wouldn't have pushed you, you would have never done that. Mm-hmm. Now, this is what I have a problem with because that child will eventually jump off that diving board if they want to, right. meaning if that's a part of their life experience and something that they're going to do. Right. And they may not do it that day or that summer, mm-hmm. but they will do Get it there. because my belief system about people is that we are internally motivated. Mm -hmm. If we feel safe within who we are and if we feel like we belong, we want to excel. We want to do more. Mm -hmm. And we don't need fear Mm -hmm. to make us do that. But we have – so many parents have the belief system and I hear this all the time. If I don't make him go, he won't go. Well, there's – I'm not going to argue with you about that. Maybe you're making him go to baseball, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't want to play baseball. Maybe you're forcing her to play piano, but that's not truly her dream. She doesn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. So in a way, you're right because you're really just forcing them to do what you want to do. But if it's something that that they are – that they desire, Mm -hmm. something that's part of who they're going to be, they can be internally motivated. Like I think Andrew – would have become that player mm-hmm. no matter what. Right. That's regardless. what I'm trying to say. So I think that when we push our kids and use fear as a tactic to get them to perform, basically what we're saying to them is, I don't trust, I don't you, trust you to do this yourself. Yep. So I'm going to do it. And like, and can I use another word, Todd? Sure. I don't believe in you yes. that you can do it right. without me pushing you. Yes. So think about that message, everybody. And our problem is like you'll hear the stories of, let's say, Andrew or any famous person doing anything famous and you hear the story where their parent made them do something. Olympic athletes. Olympic athletes. Like they forced them into it and they won the gold medal and you say, see, it works. And the one question we need to ask ourselves, that's fine. But at what expense? Right. And then the other thing is, how do you know that if you didn't push that this kid wouldn't be even a better drummer? Exactly. What if... You, you know, the Olympic gold medalist, you know, what if they actually did one summer decide, you know, even though their passion was gymnastics or swimming and they decided to kind of let it go and you said, okay, let it go. Mm -hmm. I believe in you. I trust in what you can do. And then they got it back on their terms. Yeah. They're like, oh, wow, this doesn't feel right. I wish I was, was doing more of this. And they become internally motivated instead of externally motivated by fear or by what you think. And here's why this is important because a we all come in with like something that – or things, it's not just one thing, that we love, that we desire. And as parents, we got to back up, mm-hmm. back the hell up and like allow our kids to figure <laughs> – back it up. 
back it up. And allow our kids to figure out what that is instead of imposing it on them. Because the people who say things like they would have never been this kind of piano player, they would have never been this kind of dancer, was that their dream or yours? Well, and that doesn't even make sense because you don't know. You don't know. You're say, you, you want certainty. We want certainty in this in this life, and we simply don't have it. So certainty but, and credit. But as parents, we want. I, I think this goes back to our wanting to live through our children, or our wanting to say, "Look at all you other parents. Look how great my kid my is at doing is, this." Yeah. Maybe your kid is supposed to be a schlep for the first 16 years of his life. And then all of a sudden you realize he's, he loves drawing in comic books and he becomes the most famous comic book drawer of all time. And we can even redefine, we call it being, you know, someone calls it being a schlep when actually they're at home honing Mm -hmm. their craft, they're drawing. But we, with our perspective, Mm -hmm. think that's lazy because we think that that kid should be playing football, but that's our crap. Well, we talked about that listener's question last week. Remember she's like, well, he he just likes to sit at home and yes. draw pictures. And we basically said, let him. Let him. I mean, it, you know, because Todd's point is well taken from last week where he said if he was playing video games all day and he wasn't doing anything and he was never moving his body or whatever. Yeah. But if he's at home doing something he loves. Nurture it. Get him a Don't better get, light yeah, for it. Yeah. Get him, say, how can I support you in this thing you it, love? Instead of us parents, and this isn't to that listener who called in, but into us parents getting in the way. So I want you to play this next clip because I think that this next clip from Whiplash is the most powerful one in the scene that I really was like, okay, this was the essential scene of the movie. And just to set it up, um, Andrew is at a dinner with his dad, and I think it's like some cousins. Mm -hmm. I think it's his uncle and, and two of his cousins. And they are talking about, you know, his cousins are football players, he's a drummer, and they're talking about what success means. Got any friends, Andy? No. Oh, why is that? I don't know. I just never really saw the use. Oh, well, you can play with otherwise. Lennon and McCartney, they were school buddies. Am I right? Charlie Parker didn't know anybody until Joe Jones threw a symbol at his head. So that's your idea of success, huh? I think being the greatest musician of the 20th century is anybody's idea of success. Dying broke and drunk and full of heroin at the age of 34 is not exactly my idea of success. I'd rather die drunk, broke at 34 and have people at a dinner table talk about me than live to be rich and sober at 90 and nobody remember who I was. Ah, but your friends will remember you. That's the point. None of us were friends with Charlie Parker. That's the point. Travis and Dustin, they have plenty of friends and plenty of purpose. I'm sure they'll make great school board presidents someday. Oh, that's what this is all about? You think you're better than us? Catch on quick. Are you going to model you in? I got a reply for you, Andrew. You think Carlton football's a joke? Come play with us. Four words you will never hear from the NFL. Who wants dessert? And from Lincoln Center? So, so much is said in that scene. Obviously, it's a very quick-paced, well-acted yeah. scene. But the gist of it is, is that Andrew is – Fletcher tells him the only reason that Charlie Parker became who he is. Who's is Charlie be- Parker? Charlie Parker is a musician. Oh, like okay? the best Yes, drummer. the best. Okay. The best of the best. The only reason he became who he is – and I think is they call him Bird. I think he has a – but anyway, is because this guy, Joe someone, threw a symbol at his head – and basically was like, you aren't good enough, do better. Mm. So do you see how Fletcher like took that so literally yeah. and took that experience and has decided that's how you make someone great? Right. He took one person's personal experience that could have been exaggerated, right. that may not have had anything to do with the teaching method. It could have been their friendship. It could, and and now Andrew is embodying that as the way you get better. And, and also, let me get off that tangent. He thinks success is based 
on you being like living in infamy and right. being successful in the sense that which is the definition of ego. Yes, that is. Thank you. The the ego for my definition of ego is when I'm in ego, it means I am what I have. Yeah. I am by what I accomplish. I need to be better than others. I am how much money I have. Mm -hmm. I am about how many sexual conquests I had Mm -hmm. um, and so on and so on. And it's all about competition. And that's what that exchange is between he and his cousins is his cousins go to Carlton. They play football, lovely guys. And the point that the uncle is trying to make is – Andy has no friends, zero. Yeah. Like they make that, they they hammer that to the ground. Like he has nobody. He dates a girl like twice and then decides he doesn't want to be with her anymore because she doesn't know what she wants to be. Hmm. He, he asks her where she goes to school. Why did you choose that school? And she says, I don't know. And he's like, you don't know. And then he says, what do you want to do? And she says, I don't know. And he's like dumbfounded because he's judging her. Right. He's saying that I am so much better than you because I know what I want to do at 19, right. you know? It's – um. I haven't said this at our dinner table, but like if I could give any lesson to my daughters, it's the acknowledgement that uh, that my daughters are no better than anybody. That's right. And no worse no than, anybody. than anybody. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you can kind of start your parenting from that place. I feel like we do a really good job. Because Andrew, just to give you a little backstory, his mother left when he was little. So he already has a hole in his heart, right. as as Eon LeVanzant would say, the whole the a hole in his heart the size of his mother, mm-hmm. right? He's already missing something. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to fill himself up mm-hmm. with something. Right. And what he's trying to fill himself up with is being better than other people, competition and thinking that being the best will somehow like, you know, fill in that hole. And it's it's they've got nothing to do with each other. Meaning, if he became the next Charlie Parker, he would feel just as empty and just as up. I mean, he may get the thrill of being famous and may have money and all those things that everybody deems success. Right. But we all know this is happening right now. The Justin Bieber's of the world, right. the Robin Williams of the world. The, just having success does not make you full and no. alive and whole. And it's weird. Like the closer to success, quote unquote, success you get. The harder it is to get back to where you – what is real. Things get lost. It's hard to stay grounded. And so – and the thing you have to understand is if you have a child who literally – you know, he he like finds some kind of sense of pride in not having friends and being this loner. And we're going to talk about that next when we talk about boys. But he – there's an emptiness in his life and he becomes prey Mm -hmm. for this teacher. This teacher knows and this teacher has an ego about saying I created this person. See – Egos are flying. So the reason why I wanted to talk about this movie, even though it's been out forever, is because, like I said, few people wanted to make sure I saw it and see what my feelings were about learning. Mm. And it didn't change anything that I think it actually heightened my um, understanding of why this kind of method of teaching is only damaging. Yeah. Well, thank you to the movie makers for making this movie because it exemplifies what we've been talking about this whole time is that this is not what it's about. But some people who watch this movie Mm -hmm. thinks this is what you need to do. Think this is what you need to do. Well, and it all starts like you and I were talking yesterday about, you know, if we were going to do a parenting presentation tomorrow, I feel like the starting point has to be what's the definition of success. Absolutely. And the definition of success, you know, in our 
or I'll just speak for myself, but I know that Todd's on the same page, is having a sense of self, a sense of belonging, a sense of no of compassion for other people, feeling connected to other people, knowing that we're all one, giving back to your community. And a lot of those things can also entail more uh, traditional success, meaning you may be known, you mm-hmm. may be famous, you may make money, but th- that stuff is icing. Yeah, that's the gravy. That's the gravy. That's not the essence of who you are. Well, and, and I would say the way that you and I parent our three daughters is, um, you know, there's all these different types of intelligence. And I talk about this on the show all the time. But the one that we probably um, consider or put as much energy towards towards anything is the emotional, emotional. intelligence. Yeah. And that's the, the relationship with yourself, the relationship with others. Like we, we don't push um, athletic or music or or school or anything, what we do push is we need to be kind to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, you know, I'll, I'll brag for a second. We have um, three daughters and two of them have already started playing music. Yeah, they love it. And we have never, I don't think, never have ever once told either of the two that play that they need to go play. That's right. So that doesn't mean it's going to work in your family because maybe your kid doesn't want to play. Right. But don't. But to push them is silly. Well, and the thing about the music in in our home is that um, they play their instruments. They put they play them all the time, all over the house. Yeah. And it's more like there's no. And I, I hope I can say this the right way. We have no long term expectation with their music. What I mean by that is we have. I have. I hope they continue to enjoy music. I hope they continue with their instrument. I hope they find new instruments. I do have a hope for them, but there has been no stated expectation. Like you have to play through seven, right. or you need to be in this band, or you need to get yeah. an A. Write it out. It's just enjoyment of music. Mm-hmm. And so, what I think that has given them is this ability to just go for it at home, play in front of us, play in front of their friends, knowing not needing to be any certain way on their instrument. Am I saying that well? Yeah. You know, like Cameron the the other day was playing, she plays a clarinet. She kept playing over and over again, this note and it would squeak and it would squeak and it would squeak. And she would say, Oh, I'm just trying to get that from, keep that from squeaking. Can you hear that? And I really can't Mm -hmm. like, I, I'm like, no, you know, it's sounds great. You know, keep going. And my point in that is there's no, there's no criticism. Mm -hmm. There's no direction. There's no teaching. Right. That's hers. It's hers. We don't know. And even I don't if know. I did know, <laughs> I mean, maybe if I did know, like we're doing baseball, I would have plenty of things to right. say, but it's almost a blessing. I don't have a freaking clue how right. to help you. Right. But I do enjoy listening yeah. and I do enjoy supporting you. And they like playing. And they love playing. For at least us today. And yeah. themselves. Yeah. Um, I was going to say something else, but I don't remember what it was. So. What else do you want to talk about regarding this movie, or so, is that it? No, I think that's it. I okay. think that um, for those of you who haven't seen it, um, I I highly recommend seeing it. It's very anxiety provoking. Mm-hmm. I was I had to kind of mute it a few times because the music and the language was so. And I don't mean the language like the swearing. I just mean it's so intense. Yeah. Um. And but it it shows you very well how someone who maybe is looking for something because they're feeling lacking on the inside can be preyed upon and how those two egos can, you know, from one standpoint, you'd say, oh, it turned into something great. Oh, I know what I was going to say, the comparison. Mm -hmm. I was talking to JC about this movie. She wanted to see it, but she's not old enough yet. And I said, it is the typical Star Wars story, dark and light. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is you can become quote unquote powerful 
and, you know, well-known mm. if you choose the dark side. Yeah. Okay, you can be – Anakin chose being Darth Vader and he became very powerful. As Yoda said, it's quicker, easier, and more seductive. The dark side is super seductive. So if you want to go fear and you want to go punishment and you want to go ego, mm-hmm. you can find some power over there. Right. But if you want to go Jedi, if you want to go compassion, empathy, trust, connection, um, you know, if you want to go intrinsic, then you got to go Luke Skywalker. Right. Um, our second partner, sweetie, is Dr. Kelly from the Tree of Life Chiropractic Care. Their uh, website is chirotree.com, and the number is 630-941-8733. Dr. Kelly adjusts us uh, twice a month, and she's really good at what she does. So um, if you're in the chiropractic world, um, do us a favor and support us by supporting our partners. Okay. Um, this Friday, we're as I don't know if we mentioned this on this week's show, we are doing two shows a week, every Tuesday and every Friday. Yep. And um, on Fridays, it's either going to be a conversations with people we love or it's just going to be another normal podcast that you and I do. This Friday, we interview um, a friend. I'll call him a friend now, Dr. John Duffy. And we had a really fun 40-minute interview with him. He's great. And Dr. Duffy, um, he lives in the Chicago area. And he's also on the Steve Harvey show all the time. So if you watch Steve Harvey, you probably know Dr. Duffy. He wrote a book called The Available Parent. So I'm going to play you about a minute out of uh, our interview that we're going to play this Friday. And it's kind of silly and fun. So here we go with Dr. Duffy. It's our crap. Yeah. 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 It's our yeah. crap. It so exists. I would like to bring this podcast to a... No. Oh, man. <laughs> we're, we're not over, but here's where I'm going to take exception to Dr. Duffy because 99% of your message, I feel like, I don't know. I, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. In that talk with the dads, you probably have no idea what I'm about to say. You said, I think two or three times, girls are mean. And I totally, once again, <laughs> take offense. I'm offended by that. Are you and offended? I, Let's talk yes, about the word I offended. Yes, I am. I'm offended that Dr. Duffy said that girls are well, mean because I have. I know I'm biased. I have three daughters. They're wonderful. They're loving. They make mistakes, but they're loving. Their friends are loving and loving, loving. That doesn't mean that there's a lot of girls out there that can display a bunch of uh, 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 mean tendencies. But when an expert says something like that, it tells those dads that they, they're going to say the same damn thing. So I question you on saying that. Fair enough. Um, and I'm going to expand it to girls are mean. And you, Todd, you can be mean sometimes too. <laughs> <laughs> like right now. Like for putting him on the spot. All right. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. And my, my message there. Okay. Um, and I don't, I don't back away from it okay. entirely. Bring it. Is, um, so I work with boys and I work with girls, okay. right? And um, the way boys treat each other is not always with kindness, um, but there's usually some good nature underneath it, right? So, and even when you get down to some of the stuff I remember from my childhood, the swirlies, the locking mm. a guy in a locker, some of the real bullying stuff. There we go. That's the teaser. You're going to just stop right there? I'm going to stop right there. All right. That way they tune in on Friday. I know. It was good. Uh, he's wonderful. So like Todd said, he has a book called The Available Parent. And I'm telling you, it's it's very we, – we are – we are kindred spirits. It's wonderful. Yes. So our next topic is a blog that I read last week, and it's called Why Do We Murder the Beautiful Friendships of Boys? What a powerful title. It is. It's funny because I get this – I'm on the Good Men Project subscription, and you know, you get an email every day, and it's just – you can't keep up with them. Right. But this title spoke to me. And I want to read uh, kind of what it's about. I, I know Kathy doesn't like me to read certain things, but it's all about how when we're little boys, friendships come very easy and they're kind of deep and they're emotional. And as we grow up, as we get older and we become more independent, um, 
true friendships are a little bit tougher to maintain as opposed to girls. Would you say that that's probably a fair statement? I think that true friendships in the way that friendships really should be, meaning emotionally connected, vulnerable, um, you know, uh, playful, real, men start to break away from each other. And I think girls can maintain that a lot easier. And I think this blog does a wonderful, a beautiful job explaining why that is. So um, this is from his blog, and we'll post it on the show notes. So I really, he also, he intertwines a story within the blog, which is just beautiful, a a personal story of his. But among that, he gives certain statistics. So there's a a survey published in the AARP in 2010, and we learned that one in three adults, men, age 45 or older, reported being chronically lonely. Mm -hmm. Now, that's like a staggering statistic. One in three are chronically lonely. And it's funny to even think of a man as lonely mm-hmm. because I think the, you know, this, this is about the movie that we're showing on Wednesday night. Like we're not allowed to sh- admit that we're lonely. Like no. you asked me in preparation of the show, are you lonely? And my answer was what? You said, I don't think so. I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't coin it as lonely because that would mean that there is... Uh, something wrong with me. But what I would admit to is that there are times when, you know, I'm with you, my wife and my three daughters for a few weeks and I don't have money exchanges with any of my friends. And I do feel like there's something missing in my life. And I feel like it's a connection that is not nurtured in our society. Well, and two things I want to say about that. Number one, we have to quit attributing all important relationships to just romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. Romantic relationships are very important. Partnerships um, you know, between two people who love each other in that romantic way is extremely important, but there's more, meaning that it's your life is not there's many different kind of relationships that can substantiate a life and make you feel whole. And I think that, you know, I have learned to understand the word loneliness for myself because I do use it. Mm. And when I use it, a lot of people say, oh, but you are always with your family or you've got these friends or you do this or you do this. And all those things are true. But the loneliness that I connect to is that understanding of emotional isolation, that there are some times that I can be in a group of people. And if I'm in a group of people who are not like-minded or who really don't understand me at all, or who think completely different things than I do, I feel emotionally isolated because you're not making those connections, those empathetic connections. Mm -hmm. You're kind of almost having to be somebody else to have an almost false surfacey connection. My point in saying that is really I feel like unfortunately that's what men are doing a lot of the time yeah. is they'll be in other groups of men, but they're making this surfacy non-deep connection. Well, it's funny. And the more men that are in the group, the harder it is to truly uh, right. connect. Right. Because I don't know. It's some social dynamic. Like I would be, you know, I have a certain amount of friends that I would literally say, I love you. Yes. Not many, uh, but a handful. And... um which is fairly recent in your life, don't you think? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think definitely. That's 10 years at least? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Just in the last few years yeah. since I started this men's group, it's, uh, it's becoming more and more. But the the larger the group there is, the more risk there is. You're The more vulnerable you are with, uh, with, um, with more people. So, you know, back in college, I would always tell my friends I loved them, but I was also hammered at Half, the time. Right. And that was the only time it was okay for me to truly express how important 
another man's friendship is to me. And that's a really – it's an important point that's made in The Mask You Live In, which we're screening tomorrow night, Wednesday, uh, March 11th, is they talk about that and why men do drink so much. Yeah. And a lot of it is taking down that armor, taking off that armor, yeah, like being vulnerable Yeah, like if we can't enough. do it by ourselves, then, you know, what, you know, there's a lot of reasons people get drunk, especially in college. It's to have fun and lose your inhibitions and all that. But to your point, another reason is it allows us, it gives us permission to connect in a way that we right. cannot do when we're sober. Well, and I would put all those three things together, have fun, lose inhibitions, and connect. They're all – it's like that's all one thing, yeah. meaning the reason we feel – When you connect, when you, you are having fun. Exactly. Right. And when you lose your inhibitions, you actually say what you mean. Yeah. So that's why so many of us need that kind of social lubricant yeah. because we can't really say what we feel. Right. And this is more so for men. I think there's plenty of women who have this issue too, but we see it in our society and what – this blog talks about, it explains the reasons, which a lot of it is a homophobic I'm going to tell you right now. In America, men perform masculinity within a narrow set of cultural rules, often called the man box. The man box is the subjugation of women and by extension, all things feminine. Since we Americans hold emotional connection as a female trait, we we reject it in our boys, demanding that they man up and adopt a strict regimen of emotional independence, even isolation as proof they are real men. Behind the drumbeat message that real men are stoic and detached is the brutal fist of homophobia, ready to crush any boy who might show too much of the wrong kind of emotions. So this this emotional isolation that boys feel and that men feel has its roots in our inability to understand what what's the word I'm looking for? Our inability to tolerate. Right homosexuality. I'm going to play a YouTube clip and this kind of, not that we're trying to make light of this blog because we think it's truly awesome, but this is from one of the best movies ever ever made. Well, and yeah, just to, you know, preface it a little bit, it, it like Todd said, it's kind of a funny movie, but it it's, there's drinking involved. This is like everything oh, we're no, talking about. Oh no, this is the PTNA one. I'm going to play that. I'm going to play the oh, other one okay. after. Sorry, so honey. this is from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. We've all seen this scene where Del Griffith and Neil Page uh, are sleeping in a hotel together because of travel, blah, 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 and they wake up. So here we go. And this is an example of homophobia at the end of it. Del. Oh. Oh. Why did you kiss my ear? Why are you holding my hand? Where's your other hand? Between two pillows. Those aren't pillows. See that Bears game last week? Yeah, hell of a game, hell of a game. Bears got a great team this year. They're going to go all the way. So the reason we play (laughs) that is that last 15 seconds. Yeah. Because they realize, oh my gosh, this is something intimate with another man, even though it was accidental. Right. And they have to even, they even make the caveman voices like, like they have to go deep to make sure that neither one of them know that they're gay. They have to go separate. They have to go deep and they have to talk about sports. And then they, they, they get 
back into a comfort zone of that man box. Yes. And you don't talk about it. You don't laugh about it. We're it's never not talking funny about this ever, ever again. again. And so – you know, it's what Todd said about there's also just roots in if it's not just um, because it goes deeper than just not understanding homosexuality. It is about what's the word you used? The subjectification. Sub- subjugation. Subjugation of anything feminine. Right. And of women and of, then and then thereby anything feminine. And anything feminine. So anything that is deemed a feminine trait – is looked down upon mm-hmm. by men. Yeah. It, now, not all. I, we have to. I have yeah, to do this. this is generalization. We're, generali- we're generalizing because of this blog, but it's having an understanding of the deeper roots. Because yeah. so often we take things on the surface, and we want to understand the deeper. Yeah. And you know that anything, any kind of emotional outbursts, any kind of honesty in how you feel about someone, all of those experiences are looked upon as being weak. Right. And why this is a, a problem. Starting out, first of all, with boys not having relationships, having this this emotional isolation, which which leads to a sense of depression, and we all know that the suicide rate for boys is much higher than for girls. Yeah. But then also, when boys do partner up, they don't have that emotional ca- capability that maybe a woman or you know their partner is looking for. Right. They they can't make that connection. You know, I can't tell you how many women I know, friends or people I've worked with who say, you know, my significant other doesn't get me or they don't understand me or they don't know how to listen to me or they don't know how to share with me how they feel. Well, they were never given permission to do that. So in a way, not that, not it gives us an out, but in a way it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. Because we're conditioned over years and years. So um, Mark Green is the name of the author of this. I feel like I have to give him credit. And the name of his book is Remaking Manhood. And I'm sure you can get it on Amazon. Um, But there is a really important part of the blog, which is a really good way to summarize what it was that he was trying to say. And he talks a lot about how our friendships as boys is so loving mm, and beautiful. Fantastic. And, you know, I've always had this special place in my heart for the movie called Stand By Me mm-hmm. because there's even like my favorite quote, and I think it's the last quote in the movie. You remember what it was, sweetie? Well, it's about Chris, I'm sure. He says, he says, I never had any friends later on like the ones I had when I was 12. Jesus, does anyone? Oh, that makes me want to cry. I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about. So, um, he, 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 the author tells his personal story about this, um, man who passed away, who was a good friend of his during boyhood. But anyways, um, can I, can I speak to that really quick, just to set that up? He talks about how he had this friend when he was young and when they were young, they were really close. And when he got to be around 11 or 12 and they were still reading comic books and having sleepovers, his mother said no more. Yeah. His mother's issue with two boys having a sleepover her she got scared yeah. and worried what that meant yeah. like her own un- misunderstanding about yeah. the need for boy friendships caused her to say you can no longer do this yeah. and they they broke apart yeah. because they didn't have a choice yeah. their parents are saying we're not going to allow this and this is the comment i want to say about this I've shared with Todd before that all through my life with my girlfriends, we've always been very and not all girls are like this, but I'll say for me, touchy feely like, you know, girls touch each other and we do each other's hair and we hug each other and we hold hands. Even in college, I remember, you know, college it was all about my girlfriends and we all lived together and we would like watch a movie and lay on each other's lap. Mm-hmm. And 
there was absolutely nothing romantic. Yeah. It was love. It yeah. was like these are my friends and I love them and we we comb each other's hair and we do all that kind of stuff and we're given permission yeah. to have that emotional attachment. And I'm watching that now with my daughters, yeah. with their friends. They you know hold hands, they lay on each other, they put their arms around each other. Boys do not have permission to do that. Because of homophobia. Because we get all worked up about it. And um, I feel like as our society evolves, you know, like gay marriage is now a heck of a lot more mainstream than everyone. Yes, things are changing. I feel like maybe that will point us in the right direction. Um, I mean, we don't know for sure how it will work out, but I feel, because, yeah, if you are, if you're a heterosexual man, one of the biggest insults, which is sad, is that is that somebody might think you're gay. Right. Is that really such a bad thing? It's old perspective taking. One of the guys in my men's retreat was a gay man, and he's such a loving, beautiful man. Absolutely. And um, it's, it's so funny because I didn't know all the guys in the retreat, and I didn't know and, – and, you know, just – it's it's challenging for him to announce his sexuality in a safe way with a bunch of strangers, but he did it in a really poetic, mm. beautiful way. And thank goodness that my guys on this retreat were just as open to uh, things as I was. Right. And we just got along so great. And it's just so sad that if that's like the biggest insult that you can give a guy, what's wrong with us? Well, and I think the thing that's changing in our society is people are afraid of things they don't understand or know personally. Mm -hmm. And what's so beautiful about it being so... so often, like we have all these people in our lives now that we know are gay, lesbian, and all, you know, people in the entertainment industry have come out, gay marriage is legal. You know, we are shifting our society by, you know, we all have friends and loved ones yeah. that are gay. Yeah. So now it's no longer a scary yeah. thing because we understand it. Yeah. But people, you know, people who are ignorant, because they're unwilling to get to know someone or because they close their eyes and say, you know, I'm not going to look at that or I'm not even going to talk to you because of this. They're unwilling Mm -hmm. to learn something new. They're unwilling to open their heart. So you're ready to connect the dots? This is right from his blog. So let's take a moment to connect the dots. All right. Boys feel fierce love for their best friends. Okay. And I can vouch for that. I, I, I did and I do. Add homophobia, comma, the man box, et cetera. Boys disassociate from loving best friends. Connect the dots. Boys and men become emotionally isolated. Connect the dots. Men enter the epidemic of loneliness. Connect the dots. Men die. Mm. I mean, that really sums up beautifully what we've been, how we've been trying to promote this tra- this documentary. That's yeah, what it's all that's about. That's what it's all about. And I will add to that: either men die, or men hurt other people. Yep. Or men perpetuate violence. Or men are, are cruel to women. Mm-hmm. Men, you know, attack. Or men live a life of emptiness Loneliness. and no. Yeah. So, anyways, um, so the other movie line I want to play, which is wonderful, it's from a movie that many of us have seen called Super Bad. And this is when two high schoolers are going into college yeah. and they're drunk. So, this is the crutch of alcohol. <laughs> but they. Um, had some fights that night with each other, some arguments, yeah. but they're best friends. And they recognize how they feel about each other. And this other. is played by Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah. Sarah. So here we go. I'm scared. I love you. I love you, man. I love you. I love you. I'm not even embarrassed to say it. I just, I, I love you. I'm not embarrassed. 
love you. I love you. It's like, why don't we say that every day? Why can't we say it more often? I just love you. I just want to go to the rooftops and scream, I love my best friend, Evan. We should go up on my roof. For sure. Like, when you went away for Easter on your vacation, I missed you. I missed you, too. I want the world to know. It's, it's, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Boop, boop, boop. Come here. Come here, man. And they finish it up with a hug. It's, and we, why don't we have more space for love that doesn't involve sex? Yeah. You know, that's Well, and I think there's a lot more room for that for girls than there is boys. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is is girls can hug, love, girls kiss each other. Girls can dance at a that, wedding right? together. Absolutely. I think in certain religions, I think in Judaism, the men dance together. Nice. Native Americans, obviously, they right. dance their butts off together. Right. Um, but, you know, in regular society, that there's no way that, in that would happen. In Western society. In Western society, there's no way that, that would happen. I agree. And so the reason that this is so important to talk about on what, you know, on a parenting show is that this starts with us. Yep. How are we going to parent our sons? Mm-hmm. How are we going to parent our daughters so our daughters have an open heart? To and don't that make kind fun of a boy who shows a soft spot. A soft spot, vulnerability, emotion, love for another boy because mm-hmm. they're best friends. Um, how do we, it's not even how, how can we um, make this more typical right. and, and have room for this in our society? Because if we don't, we're perpetuating the same outcomes. Right. Again, like I said, all these things that we're trying to deal with, you know, violence and loneliness and suicide and, and ego issues are all based in these deeper things, which is our inability to emotionally connect. Mm-hmm. Emotional isolation doesn't help anybody. No. There's nothing cool about it. There's nothing strong about it. It's actually the worst thing that can happen to anybody. Right. And so instead of thinking, you know, look how strong my son is. He doesn't give a crap about this. He doesn't give a crap about that. He does give a crap. Yeah. He's just hiding it. Yep. That's He's right. He's pushing it down. Because we're taught to. Exactly. We're discouraged to. Yes. So, you know, I feel like the message from this uh, blog is if your son has some wonderful friends, man, support those friendships. Yeah. Nurture it. Um, you know, allow, you know allow that conversation to happen about loving your best friends right. make that normal make you know normalcy comes from someone else letting you know that they feel the same way right. you feel normalized and validated so again it starts with your generation todd get to work people try to put us down talking about my generation just because we get around um what else we got going here sweetie well if if we're done we're done but we were going to mention something about john denver okay, do we have well, time um first i want to do this tournament of bad tournament of bad tournament of bad i woke up with this one sweetie all right can't wait my tournament of bad is when our children come visit us at night yeah in bed <laughs> yeah and um, I'm cozy underneath the covers, uh-huh. and somebody decides to um, not be under the covers anymore. <laughs> and be on top of them? And be on top of the covers. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I can no longer adjust. I know. 
So I either have to scoot my entire body back towards the foot of the bed yeah. so my feet are now hanging off yeah. because she's too heavy. Right. I cannot – are you having this problem? Well, the reason why I'm saying right, right, right is because I used to have this problem. But what I've done is I brought the big Mickey Mouse blanket into our bed. Yeah. So now when the blanket is taken away from me, I have Mickey Mouse. Where do you keep Mickey Mouse? Well, it's usually my meditation area and I just pull it over. You, you get up? Well, no, normally it's on the side of the bed because I'm using it at night and oh. then I'll take, you know, it's kind of so goes back and forth. So you have a backup blanket. Yeah, I got a backup blanket. Why don't you <laughs> clue me in on this? My goodness. Well, it's kind of, you know, you're all snuggle with them. You snuggle with oh, them. Oh, I love snuggling with And them. so I always kind of feel like I'm an island in the bed. Not, I don't mean I feel isolated. I'm, I appreciate the Todd snuggles with the girls because when they move, I wake up. So mm-hmm. he's actually doing me a favor by giving me that space. But I just have my own system. Sorry. So bring an extra blanket to bed, and then if she lays on top of the covers, you just pull that other because blanket up. Because her body's new and it works better than ours. Yes. So like maybe it maintains heat better. I, I don't know. I don't know how she does that. <laughs> she has no blanket on her, and it's you know like this is on the below zero days. Oh, but she's just you know that's just the way it is, baby. Um, what about this, sweetie? Okay. Okay, John Denver, Todd and I on Saturday night are watching random things. A lot of random, a lot of random things. Bad TV, which is fun sometimes because we don't get to do that. Yeah, very like we're much. totally channel surfing. We're channel surfing, and one thing that both Todd and I love, and my friend Jessica and I love too, is when we run across either PBS specials where they're trying to sell something, or the Time Mat, Time Warner, or the Time Warner CDs right. that are like a compilation CD of yep. all the romantic hits of the '80s, right. and they'll have like two random '80s people trying to sell it. Yeah, and they'll play the same songs over and over again. We'll watch it for hours. Yeah. I don't know why I love it, but I do. This one was actually about John Denver and his um, his set of CDs, and it was on P- PBS. Yeah. So they they always do a good job of giving you kind of an inside story. I've always loved John Denver. My aunt Peg loved John Denver when I was little in the seventies, and so I heard him growing up. So he's a big part of my internal. You know, I can remember what it felt like to be a kid when I hear John Denver's songs. But I had no idea what a humanitarian this guy was, and. I don't just mean the great things he did about, you know, trying to feed other people and um, trying to grow self-awareness and, um, you know, offer compassion to the world, but just what he did for the environment and the message he was trying to send. And the point that they made during this PBS special was when his music was really big, it was – you know, we're just getting out of the Vietnam War. The hippie um, era ended. The hippie era ended. So he was in like the mid-70s. And he was like this breath of fresh air because everything was so negative and harsh. Uh, Watergate had just happened. Yeah. And he was like singing Sunshine on My Shoulder. Yeah. And Very positive. How the country needed that so bad. But he got demonized he, for it. He got he got made fun of. It's interesting because yeah. it's for the same reasons that we're talking about. Yeah. The way he looked. Yep. Because he talked about more typical feminine things, um, beauty, love, uh, nature. Right. And he was getting torn apart because Led Zeppelin was big or whatever and the Who was playing and – 
you know, it was not cool to like John Denver. It wasn't. And what was interesting is he kind of just kept on doing it. He did. He did not change. And like, that is somebody that you and I look up to. Yes. Like, he's a hero. I don't care if I'm getting deemed nice for us. This feels right to me. This is who I am, this period. Is who I am. And he, now when I say that, he did go through depression. Yeah. He ended up having two uh, divorces. Yep. You know, he had some issues. Sure. It's not that he. No, he wasn't a saint. He wasn't but a saint. Man, he. Did a lot of good things. And one thing that I missed this in the documentary, but one thing that you shared was that he went to Africa before Bono ever did. Absolutely. I love Bono, but he was doing this. And then he did not get invited to do We Are the World. So after all the work he did in Africa and bringing awareness, you know, we didn't have social media and the internet then, so he didn't get a lot of publicity for it. They did We Are the World and they didn't invite him to sing on the record. But they invited Dan Aykroyd, too. (laughs) And uh, they invited Kim Kim Carnes and Huey Lewis. Well, Huey Lewis was pretty big. But anyway. Kim Carnes just had one really good song. I know. So that's the thing is that he – and he – you know, the other story that I loved is he loved – like, I, you know, I beat this to death. He obviously loved Colorado. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why he took the name John Denver. And he loved the mountains and he loved the water. Mm-hmm. He loved the water too. And so he became friends with Jacques, Jacques Cousteau and wanted to travel with him and kind of see what he was doing out on the water. So he went on his boat with him, which was called the Calypso, and he he – Went on this boat, wrote this song, Calypso, mm-hmm. and then he donated all of the money from this song to Jacques Cousteau, and right. they're still making money right. from that donation. And so he he put his his money where his mouth is. Mm-hmm. Like he he what he believed in and what he loved was the world. He was a, and what Todd and I kept saying as we watched it was he was ahead of his time. Yeah, he was like a John Lennon kind of guy. Yeah. but he just wasn't cool enough to be John Lennon. Yeah, because John Lennon. He was a Beatle, so that automatically makes you one of the coolest people ever to have lived. Right. But if you think about it, like he had the round – John Lennon had he the did. round. He had uh, what Peace I was think, his message. What I think is not the most attractive girlfriend or wife. Yoko. Uh, he – you know. But to some, yeah. Yoko might be very attractive to some. But right. he definitely was ridiculed for how much – emotion and how much um, energy he put into his relationship. Everyone thought he was weak, right? They were like, get her out of here. And he's saying, this is the most important thing to me. Um, So I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you to my Aunt Peg for loving John Denver because I love him because of you. And also just thank you to John Denver for doing what you did. I would have changed my name to John Colorado instead of John Denver. Really? Because he talks about the mountains and all that. I just kind of think of him as more, not a city dweller, more of a country dweller. Yeah. So I think he should have named himself John Colorado. Well, I guess- Which would have been competitive (laughs) with the guy from that Keanu Reeves movie. Johnny Utah. Johnny Utah. It would have been Johnny Colorado and Johnny Utah. (laughs) Because that was such a good movie. That was so well acted. You know if it came on right now, you'd watch it. I would watch Point Break, but it's really bad. Isn't the guy's name Bodie? Yeah, it's Bodie. Bodie. And what's her name? The annoying girl in that movie who's also in A League of Their Own. Yeah, she's a softball pitcher. She's just kind of annoying. Yeah. Um, but that movie is just too easy to watch because it's just – and it's got Gary Busey. He's yes. going to spin off this planet. <laughs> You're going to spin off this planet. <laughs> um, so to our, lis- <clears throat> to our listeners, thank you for sharing our show. Yes. Thank you for subscribing to our podcast, either on your phone or even more importantly, on zenparentingradio.com. Because when you do that, you can get your, whenever we do a new show or a new blog, it will come right to your inbox. So we really encourage you to do that. It's the best way you can kind of keep track of what we're doing. Yeah. What else do you want to promote, sweetie? Uh, Well, my books, Living What You Want Your Kids to Learn, and The Self-Aware Parent 1, and The Self-Aware Parent 2. And... um, 
I would also say like our Zen Parenting Radio Facebook page. Todd and I have a little competition going about how many we're going to get, how many people, because I have another Facebook page and he wants to beat my Facebook page. So if you guys want to help out Todd, like our Facebook page. Just help a brother out, man. And we'll see you at the movie. Yeah, Wednesday night. Mask You Live In. We've got another documentary coming after this, but let's just focus on this one. Right. And um, this is a beautiful song, too. Yeah, and I think my song is better than your song. Well, I I suggested Rocky Mountain High because I think that's the best one. I don't know. I like this one better. All right. All right, so this is uh, Words of Wisdom. Um, um, (sighs) So weak. So weak. I feel on, on the spot. Um, peace. It's not. It's not a sentence. It's a word. John Lennon. <laughs> John Denver, John Lennon, and so many others have demonstrated peace. Show me what peace can do. I'm sticking with it. I'm gonna say keep trucking. All right. Adios, everybody. Be good. <laughs>